Welcome to Musicians vs. the World. Thank you for joining me in part two of my interview with composer and scholar Bruce Adolph. In today's episode, we'll talk more about musical imagination. Specifically, we'll discuss how performers can balance creativity and imagination with staying true to the musical score and the composer's intentions. And how do we write music when everything we compose sounds like something that we've heard before? And what does it sound like when a brain turns into a thinking mind? Now, those three topics don't sound like they go well together, but they actually do. And I'm very excited to share this interview with you. Most of you will recognize Bruce's voice from his weekly national radio game show, Piano Puzzler, where he rewrites popular tunes in the style of a classical composer. If you like Piano Puzzler, you will love his inside chamber music lectures that he conducts as resident lecturer and director of family concerts for the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center. Bruce is also composer-in-residence at the Brain and Creativity Institute, founding creative director of The Learning Maestros, and artistic director of Off the Hook Arts Festival. Bruce has also written many books on music, and in our last episode, we discussed his book, The Mind's Ear, Exercises for Improving the Musical Imagination for Performers, Composers, and Listeners. The third edition of this book is due out at the end of July. And if you haven't heard the first half of my interview with Bruce, you should probably go back and listen to that so that you can get a good background on Bruce's career, his thought process, and philosophy on composing. Now, you don't have to hear that episode to understand this one, but it's really an entertaining and educational interview. And Bruce is just wonderful and so kind and has great stories. And I think that you'll really enjoy it. And so, without further ado, here is part two of Musical Imagination with Bruce Adolph. I've talked to a few composers, and a theme and a thought that keeps coming back through a lot of these composers is this quote, and I quote it, Every musical motif, every chord progression, every musical idea that you can imagine has in fact been done before, but the creativity comes in doing it your own way. And I was wondering what your thoughts are about that. Well, you know, again, you have no idea how happy I am you asked that question. For one thing, I am now writing a new book that's about that. Really? Yeah, it's it's just at the beginning stages, but it's a book about what is an idea and and what isn't um I'm, I'm calling the book so far there's something there but to be humorous about this for a moment here are three notes i hope you can hear this okay yep so they could be the beginning of this or that's night and day of cole porter it could be same first three notes, Beethoven, three notes. You know, you could go on all day. In fact, this could be the beginning of the Toreador song or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And then you have, which is happy birthday to you, had a very shiny nose. You know, I mean, you can't worry about these things because 
it, it all overlaps, but it's almost, you could also say how many words, we have a huge number of words in the English language, and it's very hard to put together words in a sentence that is nothing like anything else. But I think there, there's an attitude you need to develop, which is that if you have something to say, you can, you can say it, and the rhythm and the notes you choose, and if there are harmonies, it actually doesn't matter by the second phrase, it'll be new. Hmm. It would be very weird if you were able to write two phrases without thinking that were exactly the same uh, as somebody else. I mean, Bernstein's famous The Infinite Variety of Music lecture, he asked a mathematician to come up with um, how infinite is music if you take only 12 notes in the Western scale. We're only talking about Western music at the moment. But it's the same issues are true in all kinds of music. Um, if you add the, all the possible harmonies, that's a certain level of infinity of, of the number of ways they can be combined and order. But then if you add rhythm, it's very infinite, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I had a, uh, a student once, a composition student who was a violinist, who was a professional violinist, quite well known. He had never done any composing. And he had that problem, which is every time he wrote a phrase, it reminded him of a piece that he knew. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he couldn't continue. And I tried to encourage him to write the next phrase. So one of the exercises in, in the mind's ear is to write a new second phrase for a famous piece of music. Yes. And you can take a piece you know and write a, an answer to the first phrase, which could be a continuation of it. It could be an argument against it. It could be an interruption. It could be a stylistic break. Uh, there are so many ways to answer that phrase that even given the first actual identical phrase, you could write an infinite number of responses. Right, right. Or, or it could be written, let's put it that way. <laughs> you know, so uh, I don't think it does anybody any good to think about whether what you've done was done exactly like that before, unless you are unconsciously plagiarizing something more than a phrase. You know, <laughs> As I just showed you, there are so many things that start with the same, with just three notes, but uh, overlapping tunes. Now, one of the things that I enjoy about that problem is uh, the piano posters is all based on that. Mm-hmm. Like if I take a tune and I realize that that same chord progression or some of those notes may be both in a tune by Cole Porter and a Beethoven sonata. So that mm-hmm. makes it fun to write a piano poster. <laughs> uh-huh. That's when you get really confused contestants. <laughs> yes. In fact, in fact, when I play them, sometimes I get confused. I think, which one of these is the main thing here? <laughs> So kind of along those lines of like our expectations and, and things, these exercises I find in the mind's ear are so fun and they're so freeing. One of my favorite exercises is when you play a piece, but then you have to play it for a different purpose, like playing the Moonlight Sonata as a comedy or playing it for someone who is, it's like the last thing you ever going to play and then you're going to get arrested as soon as you're done. Right, right. And, and I see the value of it, but what was your what was your motivation for adding that exercise in there? What is, what's the benefit for musicians to do something like that? Well, that started, and, and again, a great question, one of my favorite exercises. Um, that started by my experiences with drama students. When I was a student at Juilliard, I spent a lot of time with drama department people, and I wrote music for quite a few plays, and I, they weren't paying me or giving me credit, but instead they let me audit drama class. <laughs> <laughs> which was much better. And so I became very good friends with lots of actors. And I and I learned very quickly that one of the things that they do that musicians don't do is 
take a script, and for a musician, you would say take a score, mm-hmm. and instead of trying to do what you think it is, do everything else too. Do, try every way of doing it that makes no sense. You know, like take a, a speech by Shakespeare that's serious and make it a comedy. Um, try to say it with pauses in the wrong places. Uh, try to say it as if um, somebody's holding a, a gun to your head. Try to say it as if you're running while you're doing it. Try to say it as if you, whatever it is, you're speaking to a doctor who's examining you while you're saying this. I don't know. I'm making this up now. It's not, uh-huh. a, the book is better than that. But but basically <laughs> the idea is that you give yourself circumstances and motivations that are not normally part of the exercise. And what that does is it opens up your imagination. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, actors do this all the time. There'll be in rehearsal of a play and a, and a director might say, let's do this scene in a way that is the exact opposite of what it's supposed to be with all the same lines. And that gives them this ability and opportunity to use their imaginations in a way that is kind of like, um, it's like a yoga thing. Like when you do something on the left side in yoga, then you need to do it on the right side. So you find mm-hmm. balance. And if you're always going for one thing in, in a piece of music, like you, you're not exploring what else it might be, even in an extreme way, you're not really balancing uh, your relationship to it. So it's a freeing thing that comes from the drama world. And I think mm-hmm. musicians benefit from uh, all kinds of things that actors do in their training. And that's the whole essence behind the mind's ears that I got started with it, that actors learn to challenge their emotions, to try things in unusual ways, to not look at the text as being sacred, but really an opportunity and, and that you have a responsibility to it. You know, and if you really love something, it's not that you worship it, hopefully. It's that you understand it and care about it. Yeah. And so that you want to play with it and have fun with it and you can even be angry at it. And that's still okay. It's different than just pretending it's some kind of holy relic. That's true. Well, how do you balance that, though, with the perfectionism? And when you go to lessons, it's all about this is what the composer intended. And how do you balance that freedom with our musical tradition of being true to the composer? Yeah, well, it's complicated because being true to the composer is not as simple as it sounds. It it actually needs you to understand yourself, too, and to understand how you can identify and relate to the music. So if all you're doing is is following what's on the page exactly, that is probably not true to the composer. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, as a composer, I know that um, if somebody doesn't bring themselves to it in their own imagination and and try to discover um, nuances and uh, play with or sing with certain tone and bring the colors into it that they think are there. If they just perform it straight as what's on the page, it won't be what I want Um, because I want that. I want it to be expressive and human and they have to do that. And they can only do that if they feel expressive and human. If they feel like they're, you know, in a tight, um, walking a tightrope or something while they're doing it and they can't make a mistake. I would much rather hear mistakes now and then in, a, in an emotionally um, connected performance than one with, that is incredibly accurate in which the feeling is missing. Of course, a little of both is great. You know, I remember very recently I had a premiere, the first one in a long time uh, because of COVID, um, mm-hmm. with the singer Angel Blue and a pianist Brian Waghorn. They just did it at Lincoln Center uh, a few weeks ago. And at one of the rehearsals, um, Angel said to me, we, we've been playing around with this a little bit, 
it was a funny song. And we'd like to do it for you, but we're not sure whether you think this is going to work. So, you know, it's up to you. You know, she's a famous, amazing singer and there's a wonderful mm-hmm. pianist. And I was thinking, if they want to do this, I'm sure it's going to be good. It was hilarious. They, they just found a, a certain energy that you can't possibly notate. And mm-hmm. she occasionally sang and spoke at the same time. She did all kinds of wonderful things. And she was a little nervous that as the composer, I might say, you're taking too many liberties, but it brought the piece to life and it was a great performance. And that's how they ended up doing it. In fact, at the concert, it was even freer and there were surprises that I didn't expect. And it's not about changing it. It's about really doing it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if you get a great actor in a role, they can become that character so much so that you can't even begin to tell them that's not what I wrote because if you're the scriptwriter, because they are that character now. So you have to go with it. Mm-hmm. You know, they've totally become it. In fact, I remember there's a funny story of um, uh, a famous actor whose name escapes me, but the story doesn't. He was hired to play an Italian immigrant and he had never, he wasn't Italian and he didn't speak Italian and he didn't know how to do an Italian accent, but he studied the language a little bit on his own. And he was during the course of rehearsals, he listened to a lot of Italian music, ate Italian food. And then at the first rehearsal, the director said, you don't really sound Italian. And he said, what do you mean? I am Italian. <laughs> <laughs> you can't argue with that. <laughs> yeah. Although casting doesn't work that way anymore. <laughs> That's true. It's different now. <laughs> well, I do have one question from my nine-year-old who loves music and he loves science. And so he asks... What inspired you to compose about Albert Einstein? And what made you want to compose music about science? He's so excited to hear what you have to say about this. Okay. Well, I'm excited to tell him. There are two slightly different answers. I mean, the science part of it came with uh, meeting a lot of scientists at a conference in 1992. I was invited to speak at a a conference about science and, and the arts. And at the time... I didn't know a lot of science. I I still don't know a lot of science, but I didn't really know anything. It wasn't my topic at all. Mm -hmm. At the conference, there were 40 scientists and only about three people from the arts because the people who put it together were scientists and they forgot the arts part. (laughs) I got to hear a lot of great scientists speak, including Benoit Mandelbrot and uh, and then Antonio Damasio spoke. And I didn't know, now he's a friend of mine, but this was 1992. I didn't know him at all. And his first book, Descartes' Error, had not come out. So he gave this amazing talk about memory and imagination, and he referred to the arts occasionally. So I went back to my hotel room, this was at the Aspen Institute, and I rewrote my talk. The next day, I gave a talk which reflected many of the things that he had said, and I gave them from the point of view of being a musician. And then there was a huge lunch, and Antonio said to me, did you write that last night? I said, yes. He said, because otherwise, I don't know where you got that information if it wasn't for me, because it's not not published yet. So he said, what's your science background? And I said, this conference. So so we became friends. And then basically, I started writing pieces of music based on things that he wrote or said. And then we actually collaborated on a piece where he wrote something for me to react to a text, which we wrote for Yo-Yo Ma in 2009. And ever since then, I've been writing science pieces. And with that in mind, uh, a filmmaker came to me and said he was making a film about Einstein. And he said, how would you like to 
write music first, inspired by whatever it is about Einstein's love of music you like, and then I'll use it in the film somehow, rather than my writing a film score in the traditional way. Wow. And that's what I did is I, I kept it very small, violin and piano, which were the two instruments that Einstein himself played. And I mm -hmm. listened to, well, I don't know if it really was Einstein playing because no one seems to know which recordings are genuine, but uh, I know what he played. And I took a Mozart sonata that he loved and I wrote four movements for violin and piano that were like Einstein thought experiments, thinking about what if this music was floating? What if it was suddenly speeding along, you know, and kind of like um, his amazing ability to imagine things uh, that nobody else had ever thought of. So I, I tried to capture the feeling of just imagining anything happening to this Mozart music. And I also uh -huh. did it with one movement of Bach. And that became Einstein's Light. And it, it was really a very fun project, which has a beautiful recording with Josh Bell and, and Maria mm -hmm. Stroka. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that recording. My husband, actually, that's his favorite. Oh, we were listening to it the other day. It seems like science and music and creativity works hand in hand because you're always having to look for you have to look at the world in ways that haven't maybe been thought of before. Mm -hmm. and, and problem solving. Yes, yes. So when you compose for a science topic or that, the poem that your scientist friend said, is it very much the same way? You kind of just daydream and then come up with the idea? Well, it's similar, but usually I have a specific goal, which is to find musical parallels to concepts in science. Okay. So for example... Um, in the, the piece called Self Comes to Mind, mm -hmm. I wanted to relate to the idea of um, the brain becoming a mind, which is what the text was about. So you're thinking of something that is not yet connected up, forming connections and networks, which then fire. So that gave me just a very simple image of what, kind of what I just described, of music that is at first floating, intersecting lines that don't quite connect, and eventually they connect up and the speed of it increases and the, uh, along with the tempo, the kind of levels of counterpoint increase. And eventually you get something that is telling the story of how something connects up and becomes a functioning mind. And I had the cello represent um, the brain itself, the protagonist, and then two percussionists playing lots of instruments. And they represented the neurons firing and the networks connecting. Mm -hmm. uh, and after that, though, once you get an idea, you do have to just dream the music and then select and reject things and then refine them. And then you know, there's a lot of thinking involved after the dreaming. I don't, I don't want to give the impression that the dreaming is really exactly the same as just having a dream. Right. Um, in order to have musical awake dreams, you have to know a lot of music so that your memory has a vocabulary you can draw from. I know that you have to run off to Lincoln Center now, so I wanted to ask you one more question. What advice would you have for someone starting out in music that wants to make music their lifelong passion? Well, first, I would congratulate them. It's a great idea. And <laughs> I, I think that uh, the main thing is to not lose sight ever of music being the thing. So it's not about, it, it can't become about money or recognition, even though as one goes on in life, you know, these questions come up. How do I make a living? How do I make more money? Uh, you know, 
am I well known enough? You know, these things will come up. But as long as they are always second place and music is first, um, I think that things will happen. In other words, if you always do your best and concentrate on the music rather than uh, yourself. That, that I mean, that's like when we started this interview, you said something about the sense of wonder and that being an aspect of it. And I, I think I already was saying something similar to this, which is that it has to be about the music. You stay in touch with why you're doing something, that you love the music and you want to communicate the music. It's the same thing that is a great way to get rid of such things as anxiety and stage fright, which is to think of the music instead of yourself. Stage fright means you're thinking about how you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a natural problem that people have. But when you put yourself back inside the music, then that can go away. And that's basically, I know, I know musicians who are extremely happy, content, excellent musicians who don't have much money, hardly any, some, and who are not that famous, but they love their life because they've got music every day. They're really good at it. They have friends who play with them and they do have their successes now and then, just like actors who are in a great play or a movie and then they have nothing for a few years. This does happen. So I guess the answer is, um, remember, it's music. It's not career. Career is what happens or doesn't. And music is, it should be there at all times. Perfect. That's wonderful. Well, Bruce Adolph, thank you. I have thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you today and I love your stories and I love your wisdom and everything that you have been sharing with us. So thank you so much for taking the time and talking with me today. Thank you. It's a complete pleasure. You're the most prepared interviewer I've ever spoken to. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) And even your son and husband know what you're doing. It's fantastic. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. Today's episode was hosted by me, Christine Smith, and produced by Russ Wilkes. A very special thanks again to Bruce Adolph for sharing his time, his music, his expertise, and his advice with us today. In today's episode, you heard Self Comes to Mind, Movement 3, performed by cellist F.A. Batichigil and percussionists Ayano Kataoka and Ian David Rosenbaum. You also heard Einstein's Light, Bending of Space-Time, performed by Joshua Bell and Maria Stroke. Both were composed by Bruce Adolph and shared with his permission. The third edition of The Mind's Ear, Exercises for Improving the Musical Imagination for Performers, Composers, and Listeners, is available for pre-ordering on Amazon now. And I'll have links to that, Piano Puzzlers, and Chamber Music Society at Lincoln Square in our show notes at frostedlens.com slash musicians versus the world. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please do me a favor and share this episode with friends, students, or anyone that you think will enjoy it. And also, if you leave us a nice review on social media or wherever you hear our podcast, that will help others to find us as well. If you have any topics you'd like to be discussed or questions about music or musician life that you'd like to have answered, please be sure to reach out on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at frostedlens.com. Thanks so much.